Rocky Church. It's so good to see you at this time of year. I'm so excited when I walk into the mall these days and there's Christmas decorations everywhere. It just You can just feel the hope in people as they walk into those places and they see people you know, just buzzing around together and I don't know, it's just a different feeling than any other time of the year when you go to the shopping centre and I'll be honest, I don't know if there's something wrong with my female jeans but I don't love shopping at all. But when you walk in at this time of year and it's just vibrant and happy and people are hopefully not too grumpy as they're bumping into everybody but just out there buying and thinking of other people is so great. And it was I really loved watching that video again this morning of our giving the impact that our giving had to children who would not normally receive gifts at Christmas. So I want to personally thank you for your amazing contribution in that because it just makes such a difference because what actually happens with those gifts is those gifts are given by the parents to their children. So if you're a parent, you can understand how heartbreaking it would be to have nothing to give your children over Christmas. So what an amazing blessing that can be. So let's get into the word this morning. I think um, at this amazing time of year, I tend to focus my attention a lot on the baby in the manger I always see that little baby, Jesus, and obviously that's because that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. We're celebrating his birth, so that makes perfect sense. But I know when I think and remember the birth of my own children, I recall their tininess, I recall their um, helplessness, their complete reliance and dependence on Josh and I, and their innocence. And I guess at this time of the year, as we embrace that season, it, it represents peace, it represents reconciliation, it, recon- re- it represents our connection back to God. And so this season is meant to bring us joy, it's meant to bring us peace. And that's amazing, but I think sometimes when I get caught up in seeing that baby in the manger, which is not a bad thing at all, but when I get caught up with the baby in the manger, I sometimes skip over some of the really incredibly significant things that happened around the birth of that baby. They unfolded with splendour. They are full of magnificence. They're full of our God. And they are what lead us to finding that saviour that was born in a manger for us. So the question we're looking at this morning is, why did Jesus come? But I think, however, that it's really important for us to understand the significance of those surrounding events and to see God's hand in them, which really just adds to the miracle. The miracle of the baby in the manger is incredible, but when we look at all the incredible significant events around that, it just gives more weight to that as well. So I'd love for us to take a look at a few events that surrounded the birth of our baby in the manger. First of all, we see the hand of God in the divine conception of Jesus. Now, that account starts with the angel appearing to both Mary and to her soon-to-be husband, Joseph. The account in Luke chapter 1, 26 to 38 tells us about the angel Gabriel and how he appeared to Mary and he told her that she'd have a son. Verse 35 of that section of scripture says, The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then in Matthew chapter 1 verses 28, uh, sorry, 18 to 25, the angel appeared to Joseph. Let's read that scripture together. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. 
Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus." So we can see the hand of God in that Jesus, was his, his son, was conceived through such a miraculous way that has never been seen before and has never been seen since. It's quite incredible. This miraculous moment in history is the first time, the first in a few things that I'd love us to have a look at today that prove to us that God is faithful to the promises that he gives. We see in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, is the prophecy that Isaiah spoke about that, uh, relating to the Jesus coming birth through the virgin. In Isaiah 7.14 it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now let, next thing I want to consider is the place of Jesus' birth. Luke chapter 2 verses 2 to 7 is the account of the delivery of Jesus. So let's have a look at that scripture. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place when Quirinius, I just don't know why they couldn't have easy names. Like, why couldn't they just call him John? I don't know. Anyway, he was governing over Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn." Now, how's the timing here? Good old Caesar Augustus decides that he's going to take a census, which causes both Joseph and Mary to travel 90 miles. Now, I don't know what miles are, but I know that that's a very long way, to the city of Joseph's ancestors. They travelled south along the Jordan River, which that might seem fine because that's all flat land and there's a beautiful river there and you're thinking of cool breezes, but just remember this is Israel. It's hot. And I just want to clarify there, It actually, we obviously celebrate um, Jesus' birth in December. Now, I was talking to Dr. Dean at work the other day because I was like, I looked up in the the Google Maps thing and I was looking up weather and I was like, oh, December's actually really lovely there. It's cool in the day, it's a bit fresh at night. But that's actually not when Jesus was born. Historians say that Jesus was actually born in June, July. Now, I was there in April this year because Josh and I were so privileged to go to Israel. 
And let me tell you, April was not too bad. They were about to come into their really hot weather. And one of the places that we visited was 45 degrees. It was hot and that was April and it was only going to get hotter. So they travelled south along that flatland of the Jordan River and then west over the hills of the surrounding Jerusalem and then they went into Bethlehem. Now, that's a fairly gruelling trip. It took four to seven days and that trip was clearly taken when Mary was literally about to give birth to her baby. She was virtually full term and she was riding on the back of a donkey. Now, I'm surprised that little baby Jesus just didn't drop out along the way. But, you know, now I remember the week before our daughter Georgia was born in the month of February. And that week, I was still working and I was practically full term. And it was 38 to 40 degrees every day that week because we had a heat wave, which was fantastic. And the optometrist practice that I was working in at the time had their electricity cut. So there was no air conditioning. So my lovely boss, who's actually an optometrist up here at Mount Barker now, but anyway, my lovely boss came outside and out into my desk and said to me, you need to go home because I was overheated, I was very heavily pregnant and very uncomfortable. But that seems a little bit crazy to me, as real as that was for me, when I consider what Mary's experience was. Walking or probably waddling or riding on a donkey that had no saddle and the days in extreme heat remaining completely covered as women were and bouncing along on a donkey along rocky and very rough ground. This was not an air-conditioned hospital, ice chips at the ready, clean sheets, medical equipment ready to go. It was not that kind of birth. And that birth to me clearly earned the name labour. There was no room for Mary to lay down to rest. In fact, there was no room for Mary at all. The scripture said there was no room for her at the inn. So the place where Jesus was, would be born was prophesied in Matthew chapter 5, verse 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler of Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So although we can look at that delivery and that birth, we see the tremendous obstacles and what appear to be incredibly bad timing for a census. Which, by the way, knowing what the weather was like for anybody that had to travel, I don't know what Caesar Augustus was thinking, but I think that was a bit mean. But anyway, this was actually, this, this trip for them was actually the catalyst that caused the prophecy surrounding the place of the birth of Jesus to be fulfilled. Without that census, there would have been no reason and no man in his right mind would take his wife on that journey at that point in time for her. Next, we see here that the prophecy declared the lineage of Jesus, the family line from which he would come. The scripture we just read in Luke chapter 2 and verse 4 mentions that they were returning to Bethlehem because Joseph was of the house and the lineage of David. Now, in that prophecy in Isaiah 9, verse 7, we see that it is from the house of King David that the Saviour will come. Let's have a look at that scripture in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. It's one that we hear at this time of the year over and over again. For unto us a child is born, 
Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. All these moments coming together are miraculous in themselves. However, the wonderful thing that they show us is that our God is faithful to what he has promised for us. He's faithful for what he declares. Prophecy declared the birth of our Saviour. It declared his lineage. It declared that he would be born spotless and without sin through a virgin woman. And it declared the place of his birth. And all those events happening as they were prophesied were the faithfulness of our God to his promise. Next, I want to have a look at this morning, the three wise men. Now, the story of the three wise men who travelled from the east to see the new baby they declared as being the born, the king of the Jews, is found in Matthew chapter 2. Again, there are a couple of things of great significance in this portion of the story surrounding Jesus' birth. First, the wise men popped in to see the king, King Herod. He took a, let's have a look at that scripture in Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it was written with by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for you out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Interesting point there that, that these pagans knew about the prophecy of the Christ. An interesting thought, they knew where he would be born. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. What a liar. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, they, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over the, where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced and exceedingly, with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, I want to take a look at the three wise men in just a minute. But first of all, let's just follow where King Herod goes with all of this. It says in that scripture that we just read, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So he inquired of his wise men... Um, where the, Christ, the child would be born. And as I said, interesting that they already knew what the prophecies were. 
Then in verse 12, speaking of the wise men, it says, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So my questions are these. So why was Herod so troubled? And why did he inquire as to the place of the birth of a baby? And why did these three men get a, these three wise men get a divine warning not to go back to where Herod had, to Herod and inform him of where Jesus was? We see the answer to that a little bit further in chapter two. In verse thirteen, it says, "Now when they de- had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph." Now I'm just thinking these people get angels an awful lot. I've never seen one, and I'm a little bit jealous because I'm like, this is amazing. Anyway, the angel said to Joseph, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Other versions say to kill him. Clearly Herod wanted the one who was to be the king of the Jews destroyed and wiped out, even though he was but a baby. And as I said before, when I remember my babies. They're innocent, they're helpless, they're defenceless. But we know obviously what Jesus was going to do. But in verse 16 it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time in which he had determined from the wise men. So King Herod murdered all the male children under the age of two around the time of Jesus' birth to ensure that the King of the Jews, our Saviour, would not live. All the male children Because obviously when you're thinking about the fact that they don't just pop in their car and drive 10 minutes down the road, it's days, it's weeks, it's lots of travel. And that's what the wise men did. They travelled afar. So when they told Herod of the time of of the star appearing and all that information, he just went, well, I need to wipe them all out to make sure that he doesn't survive. The enemy has always had a plan from the very beginning of time because he knew why Jesus came and he would do all that he could to prevent that happening to the point where he would use a king to wipe out an entire generation of children, of babies. But next, I want us to take a look at those three wise men. Although there's not much more known about them than that they had travelled from the east and that it travelled in time to be there around the birth of Jesus... That just highlights another really interesting point for me. It shows us that God has been working before we have any hint of his moving. Because remember, the wise men had to come from afar. So God had prepared them. He had highlighted it to them. He'd shown them the star before Jesus was even there so that they would have time to travel and be there when Jesus was born. But what's also incredibly significant, and I'm sure you've all heard it before, but what's incredibly significant is the gifts that the wise men brought to him. And the fact that they brought them at all was the clear that they understood and they were proclaiming to us and to generations forward the worth and the value of our baby Jesus. The three gifts they brought have great spiritual meaning. 
Matthew chapter 2, 11 says, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they'd opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, gold is a symbol of kingship on earth. Scholars generally agree that the gift of gold represented Jesus as a king with an everlasting throne. It was a treasure befitting royalty. The message of the wise men is really clear. This little baby was to be honoured as royalty. Then we go to frankincense, which is an incense. It's a symbol of deity and of priesthood. The gift of frankincense is said to have been an acknowledgement of Jesus' priesthood, setting him apart from a typical king. Frankincense was used in the temple routines burned ceremoniously by the priests. It was actually not native to that region at all. So obtaining frankincense from the east was costly. So this gift was precious both in its value but also in its meaning. And then we look at myrrh. Myrrh is an embalming oil. It's a symbol of death. So the most bittersweet of these gifts, myrrh, had, to, had been imported to Egypt in droves for embalming rituals. And the practice filtered out through the whole surrounding areas. Even without the mummification process, which we know the Egyptians, etc., used, myrrh was connected with death and with burial. It's a really disheartening gift to give a new mother to hold, yet beautiful in the light of her understanding of Jesus' purpose. That leads us to our initial question, why did Jesus come? There are other moments I think of great note in the historic account of Jesus' birth. Let me just remind you here, though, that this is not just a story It's not a fairy tale. It's not a fable that we pass down from generation to generation. This is a true historical account of the birth of our Saviour that our entire calendar is set on. There are other moments in this story like the sky filling with angels singing glory to God in the highest, scaring the death out of the poor shepherd men who were trying to rest at the end of the day. There's the noteworthy portion of the story that tells us there was no room at the inn for Jesus to be born. Now, back then, the inn is actually very significant, that at that time, it would have actually been the sanctuary. It would have been the church was the inn. So it's a very interesting story for another day, that at that time, there was no room for Jesus at the inn, at the sanctuary, at the church. And that, meant, that kind of signifies that mankind and the church had not made room for Jesus to come in. But we'll talk about that another time. But today, let's consider the magnitude of all that we've just looked at and that we've uncovered through the story that surrounded our Jesus' birth, his miraculous conception, his lineage and his family line, the place that he was born, the attempt of a king to kill a new baby, the visit and the beautiful gifts of the wise men. All of these things point to a great purpose and a divine plan that our Saviour has on this earth. So why did he come? We see the reason in the very first encounter Joseph had with the angel in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
we see the reason in prophecy in Isaiah 17, 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And we see it in the third gift of the wise men. Myrrh was connected with death and burial. So we can see the reason Jesus came was to be God with us. It was to die a brutal death so that we could, he could forgive the sins of mankind. And it was to rejoin us to a relationship with God, the God who created us. This season is all about Jesus coming to bring us freedom. He brings us freedom from our guilt. Whether we feel guilty for what we've done, what we've thought, what we've said, or whether we don't, Jesus came to bring us freedom from all of those things. He came to bring us freedom from fear. Fear traps us and it holds us back from the life that we're supposed to live. And Jesus came to bring us that freedom. He came to bring us freedom to know God. The things that we do wrong, our sins are a barrier and they cause a separation between us and God. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear you. But when Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross for us, he removed that barrier, and he made it possible to have us to have a relationship with God again. John chapter 3, verse 16, a scripture that we all hear when we first encounter Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He came to bring us freedom to love. 1 John 4 verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. As we understand that the reason Jesus came was to die for us, to begin to see God's love for us. When we hand our hearts over to him, we begin to receive his love and are set free to live a life of love, a life that is not self-centered, a life that lives to serve God and other people. His love gives us freedom to change. Because his love gives us freedom to change, we can live lives that are free from guilt. We can live lives that are free from fear and we can live lives that are free to know God and to know his love for us. So this season of Christmas, as we celebrate our beautiful baby in a manger, our saviour, I would really love, if Luke can come and join me, I would really love to pray for a couple of things for you. So as I finish today, I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes as I pray for a couple of things so that we can give some people some privacy. First of all, if you are here this morning and you've heard the story of Jesus because of the Christmas that surrounds you, but you've never actually given your heart over to Jesus or opened your heart to allow God in for you to experience the love that I've talked about and the freedom that I've talked about, and you would like to do that today, then I'm just going to ask you if you would simply, while nobody else is looking around, if you would simply lift your hand so that I can know to pray for you this morning. So if you would like me to pray for you, that you would actually allow God into your heart today, that you have not done that before, then just pop your hand up and I'd love to pray for you today.
Okay. The second thing I'm going to pray for, and I'm going to ask that no one's looking around again, is just that if you are facing stress of relationship at this time, if you're facing loneliness or pressures of life, whether it be financial or relational, then I would love to pray for you this morning because as, I, as I've talked about today, Jesus came so that we would have peace and freedom, that we wouldn't be lonely but that we would have a relationship with God again. So if you would like me to pray for you for the stresses of the, that this season seems to bring or the things that it highlights, again, I'd love you just to raise your hand so that I can pray for you today. Great, thank you. All right, let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is truth and it is life. And Father, I thank you that as we focus our attention on Jesus this morning, as at this season we focus on that beautiful baby that came, we focus on the fact that he came to bring us peace over our circumstances, that he came to renew our relationship with you. And because of that renewed relationship with you, we have freedom. We have freedom from the sins that we've committed. We have freedom from the choices and the life that we have made, Father. And Lord God, we have freedom to be surrounded by your love and your peace. So over this time of year, Lord God, and Lord, may it be a permanent thing that your peace would surround these people this morning, that you, the truth of your word would speak into their hearts and bring hope and note, Lord, that loneliness would be removed, that they would be surrounded by a community of people who care about them, Father. Lord, that they would see the people around them. Lord, that they would feel your presence and they would feel your comfort and your joy. That this season that we would be people who would share of ourselves, that we would show the love that you have placed within us and we would share that with others, Father God. So, Lord, I pray for these amazing people this morning that this truly would be a season a season of kindness, a season of peace, a season of joy, Father God, and of your will being done on this earth. In Jesus' mighty name, thank you, Father God. Amen.